Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The How's Your Father podcast with Johnny Cochran. And now, here's Johnny. Hello and welcome to another episode of the How's Your Father podcast. This is a podcast dedicated to all things fatherhood. Now, for those loyal listeners, thank you, first of all, uh, for being here once again. But you'll also come to expect a certain standard by now. And the standard is that I always deliver wonderful guests. People who are really, really interesting to talk about the different aspects of fatherhood. And today's episode is no different. For I have an absolute stalwart of the British comedy industry. A hilarious man, genuinely one of my... I would honestly go as far as saying one of my comedy heroes. Um, He's just... Whoa! Uh, There we go. As long as you don't say legend, Johnny. uh, Legend. I hate legend. I feel like that's... I'm someone from the past who doesn't do it anymore when I get described (laughs) as a legend. So, well done. This guy is absolutely not a comedy legend. Guys, it's Jeff Innocent. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you. I'm here all week. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Jeff, uh, thanks so much for coming on the podcast, first of all. Um, It's a a real treat to have you. Absolutely not a legend. Definitely not. Thank you. Um, But you are a father. That is correct. Um, I am a father. Um, I am a father of four children. And I started being a father in the early 80s. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's quite a while then, really. uh, Well, I was in my late 20s. Uh, It didn't get off to a good start. Can I just say, before I say anything else, I don't want people to look at me as a beacon of good fatherhood, Okay, I don't hold myself up and say, yeah, I got it right. This is the way you should do it. Uh, A lot of it has been by chance, random and I was very young, so I'm not <laughs> not apologising, I'm just putting into context. But actually, um, it, it even started in a really bad, in a bad way, uh, in that um, I, in the late 70s, I had a new girlfriend. Now, I was about 25, I think, um, and she was 17, she was doing her A-levels, and she got pregnant. Well, we got pregnant while she was still at school. <laughs> this all sounds... But but, but worse than that was that her mother uh, was Nigerian, is Nigerian, and I had to go around to her mother's house to tell her that her 17-year-old daughter, who she was expecting to be doing A-levels and going to university, is now pregnant by this 
this Cockney white girl. <laughs> it was quite a traumatic experience. Um, now, sadly and unfortunately, but I'm putting this in because it does count, we lost that baby um, really rather tragically. Um, she had a stillbirth, which meant she went full term and the baby uh, died. And it was a very, even now, it's a very hard thing to talk about, but I do count it. And, and women always, you know, women would always count that as a baby that they've had, and I get that. And that was a very, um, very difficult period. But we did go on afterwards to have a child quite soon afterwards um, in, the, in the early 80s, a daughter. And, uh, and then we had another son a couple of years after that. So, so that they were my first two children um, in, in that relationship in the early 80s, living in Canning Town in East London. And, of course, getting, uh, you know, becoming uh, uh, familiar with um, Ni Nigerian culture as well. And, and actually, <laughs> I remember, because I was, I've always lived in, um, I've always grown up in areas where there's been a black cultural presence, but it's been more Caribbean, of course. So this was my first engagement uh, was, uh, well, <laughs> it was to go around there and tell the mum that her daughter's pregnant, which was very difficult. But I remember going there the first time to eat, and I didn't even eat Indian food in those days. And uh, the, the, the heat of the food, the pepper in the soup, you know. But I had to try and I had to try and make out that it wasn't affecting me. But it was so hard; my eyes were running, I was <laughs> nose was running, I was crying with the heat. I had, to, I had to try and style it out so that I wouldn't show myself up. There's a little thing. There's a little thing I've learned subsequently about if you're white or English and you go to a, an African house and they serve food, often they will serve the food, but for you only, they will put a knife and fork next to the meal because <laughs> they're all he eating traditionally with, with hands. So my tip for any young white man who's in that position, don't touch that knife and fork, otherwise you would have failed the first test. Yeah? And um, so that was great. So, yeah, uh, bringing up two children, um, Nigerian mum, Living in Canning Town, you know that that was a great experience. Um, so, so I was going to just jump in there, Jeff. Um, there's yeah. a couple of things we will establish. Well, for our listeners who maybe don't know who you are, you sound, you know, very Cockney, kind of like, you know, you'd imagine a Cockney kind of hard nut um, in in real life. When in reality, you are actually a Cockney hard nut with an earring. Um, so you know. <laughs> They, uh, they, you, you sound as you'd imagine. You sound as you actually are, I think. And um, you know, we, we've jumped in straight away to some kind of quite heavy stuff there. In this, but I, I think it's. I'm so pleased that you've you know chosen to bring this up as well because the issue around stillbirth, there, there is so much stigma attached to it, isn't there? Um, because you know, miscarriages are something that are starting to get gain a little bit more traction mm -hmm. and be discussed a little bit more uh, openly yeah. And, yeah. and the tragedy, how it can affect people's lives. But when you come to a situation to deal with, like, not only miscarrying, but actually having to deliver it as well, I mean, yeah. this is really traumatising stuff. Yeah. And, and how did that affect you oh. and that a relationship? And I know you said you went on to have a yeah. child subsequently, but was that because you'd almost just completely readied yourself to have a child at that point and you were just almost resolute that you were going to... Uh, I, think, um, I think that was part of it on behalf of my wife at that time. I'm pretty sure she was fairly driven after that 
because of that experience. It was a, for her, it was a, a terribly traumatic experience to go through labour expecting you're going to be handed a baby, you know. Uh, that's uh, just such a terrible thing to think about. And, of course, she was only 17, and it was the uh, late 70s, early 80s, around that time, I can't remember exactly. So there wasn't, wasn't counselling, there wasn't anything in place to help people who had had that experience. And, uh, uh, you know, I don't want to put a downer on this, this podcast, but one of the things I remember is that then, you know, you have, you're walking the streets and seeing people that are coming up to you and saying, what did she have? And you're, you're having to explain to people what happened. You're having to take stuff back to the baby shop and go, look, I'm sorry. But so that, uh, you know, when, you know, you're acting and they, they want you to cry and they say, try and think of something that can make you cry from your past in order to cry for the character. That, that's something that uh, would be the thing. And I find it very hard even now talking about it, but I want to share it because I'm sure there are other people out there that have that experience. But I do think, however, that maybe that doesn't happen as much now. The, the whole chance of you carrying a child and going full term, I think there are lots of scans now. There's lots of checkups that maybe weren't there during that time. They certainly weren't there. And actually what made it more tragic is in her circumstances, she was put on medication with something like hay fever or something that she shouldn't have been put on. And in the end, that's what we put it down to. But scans now would rule that out. I imagine that it hardly ever happens now. I'd like to think that. But very difficult for everyone involved. So I do think maybe she was driven um, to have another child quite quickly after that. Uh, and I can understand that. And you, you suggested that's the case. And that, uh, that's a really good question. Uh, so we then did go on to, to have a child quite soon, maybe a year or two. I wonder now whether that's a good thing to do that or not. Um, but that's something, you know, she probably has to live with on a, on a daily basis herself in her own way from that experience. Uh, she's I not see. someone I have contact with now. So it's not something we get to talk about, you know. Right, right. I see. So, so from from your um, side, your situation was the whole issue with fatherhood. Was it something that you'd always wanted to do? You'd always envisaged yourself being a father? No, no, I hadn't at all. Um, I hadn't. I mean, I do come from a, a family of five children, and my mum comes from a family of ten children. So, I do come from big families, not necessarily what we might call linear or functional, of course. Or who does? Um, but at, at my age, I wasn't thinking about having a child. It certainly wasn't on my agenda. And uh, I wouldn't have chosen to have done that. And I think a lot of my life during that time was pretty selfish uh, and irresponsible anyway. So I, it was just a question, I suppose, of doing the right thing, of thinking, OK, this girl's pregnant. You, you, this is what we have to do about it. But I'm not saying I, uh, you know, then when we did have a child, it was fantastic, of course. It always is. And, um, you know, so no, it wasn't on my agenda. I don't know if it's ever been on my agenda, actually. I don't know. I'm not saying, you know, I mean, yeah, I don't think it was, um, you know. <laughs> no, fair I hope enough. I not listening. I hope no one's listening. I'm not mentioning any names, <laughs> by the way. 
<laughs> we do have that a few times on the podcast where people are no like, names okay. of any children or mothers will be mentioned in this interview. I'm just telling you, if they're listening, they can have to work it out for themselves. But... No, that's absolutely fine. Yeah. We'll keep this non-libelous. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, an interesting dynamic which you mentioned there as well. Now, you know, our viewers, uh, our listeners, I should say, um, if they don't know about the kind of racial dynamics of Canning Town in the 80s mm. um you know i certainly have an an inkling <laughs> into it because it's from east london's where my family are from as well and let's just say racial harmony has not always been um, <laughs> uh, well, commonplace in east london but it's funny isn't it because there's contradictions as well in areas and at different times so for example during that period in canning town which i guess is south newham it's down more towards the river down more towards the docks uh, you know, uh, 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 south of the A13, I suppose, is the dividing line. It wasn't famous for integration, and but was famous for, for racism, um, NF, uh, BMP, etc. That's not to say everybody was like that, but let's say it was probably one of the harder areas for for people who are black from any culture to 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 start living in. And um, uh, I do remember I had a friend who worked for the, uh, the council housing and said there were all kinds of problems and, and racial attacks. Um, however, uh, the rest of Newham, of course, Forest Gate, Upton Park, had a long history of, of multiculturalism with uh, Caribbean people living there from the Windrush days, you know. Uh, and, of course, East Ham has become very multicultural in terms of people these days from Pakistan, India, Bangladesh, but still that part of um, of Newham was always badlands, wasn't it? And I think I think the first black people that started living there, possibly certainly in my era, uh, would have been pioneers. You know, they would have been they would have been tough people that thought, well, I don't care about that, and they would have been pioneers in that respect. But there was a history of multiculturalism in that area. You might, I bet you don't know this one, but you know, uh, there's an area that used to be called Tidal Basin. And it was down by the docks. It's where the ski lift is now. I don't know if you know where that is. There's a oh, ski yeah. lift that runs from Silvertown over to Greenwich. Or the cable car, the cable car. Boris Johnson's cable car. But that area there has uh, it, all been redeveloped. And there was a pub there called the Tidal Basin Tavern, which during the late 70s, they used to have a, a club underneath called the Dugout, which was one of these late 70s, very black and white, reggae soul clubs that you used to get in Hackney and places like that. But in the 30s, I think it was, it, that area was known as the Dominoes by the local people because lots of black and white people used to live there. So it was known as the Dominoes. So, and that would have been people who were coming off ships from Africa and different countries, maybe settling in temporarily or, or living there now. So there is a history. There is a history of multiculturalism. Uh, and, I, yeah, it's contradictions, isn't it? So I lived at, in that area that was largely like that, but there were pockets and cultural and social pockets in which I was part of, and that's how I met my, my girlfriend at that time. There's a little... Actually, it was a place called Mason Close in, in Canning Town, where it's like a little square of flats. It was almost like a front line in itself, and it was a place of haven for us a lot, and that's where I met her, and uh, that's where I spent a lot of time. So, so can I ask, um, this is all fascinating, by the way, I, I love the local history, um, but in terms of like, you know, we, we're addressing the fact that whilst 
absolutely you're completely right that you know that not everyone was racist around there that's mm-hmm. that has to be said there was a lot of racism so when you come to be in this uh interracial relationship right. and then have a biracial child sure. where does your mind where was your mind at with that situation feeling like you're about to introduce a child into a mixed race child into what was you know admittedly quite a racist area what what was well, your I think my to? my personal immediate social group was very multi-ethnic and full of black and white people, black people whose parents were from different parts of the Caribbean and parts of Africa. So my personal world was was different from from the mainstream world that, that I was living in. Um, so uh, it, it wasn't... I didn't experience any racism in that sense because of having a brown child. I mean, let's talk about this to mixed race in a moment. Don't forget, because it is highly problematic, but... Um, I think if I was, women would have tended to have had more of a problem, of course. Uh, traditionally, I think women would have been facing more racial abuse for having, you know, for white women for having a, a, a child uh, with, with a white partner. But I actually, it's funny because I think the racism around mixed race children is is different, is, is more insidious. And um, in the sense that I think they become... They had become uh, uh, objectified and aestheticized in a, you know, like if you had a, a mixed race child, I remember people like that, oh, you should put her in adverts, put her in adverts. So it was that thing about mixed race kids and their hair being in adverts, uh, being objectified in that way for this specific mixed race aesthetic. I, and, I, uh, I, Jeff, I always got, oh, you- with hair like that, you could work on kids' TV. Well, I was going to say that, man, because they were also presenters of TV children, children's TV programmes, which I'm I sure always, you know a lot about. <laughs> I always found that appalling, and um, so much so I did end up working in kids' TV. Granted, but uh, you know, You're working take, for the man. <laughs> <laughs> got to take the suggestions when they come, haven't you? <laughs> you're, working, you're working for the man. But, but, but definitely um, there was always that sense of, uh, of them being... Different. And of course, black people are, are, are black people are much more, in, in my experience, black people and black families are, were much more accepting of mixed race children into their culture because they just saw them as black. You know, we're all black. Um, I think I didn't really, I mean, you'd get other things like, um, so for example, I remember when I was, um, when he was young and I think I was staying up with my mum's and my mum was washing him in the bath and she went, oh, he's got a lot of black in him, isn't he? So that idea, and I said, Mum, he's not like a white person that's been impregnated by blackness. You know, that whole idea that, that it's a white child that's somehow been tainted by their blackness. Um, I also remember being young, and when you see um, a, a child or a, a, a mixed couple, uh, uh, people going, oh, it's the kids I feel sorry for, don't you? Because they don't know if they're black or white. I grew up with all that shit, man. I grew up with that all being the norm. Um but I do, um, I do want to, I do want to talk about this term mixed race because it's a real problem term. And I mean, I see that you use it quite freely, and I wonder it's because you're also old enough to remember what we had before, where you know, where mixed race was a great liberal improvement on half caste or half chat or half breed or any of the other stuff. But the problem is, 
the term mixed race is still using, is still identifying people racially rather than culturally. So in a sense, it's a, it's a meaningless term because, you know, you could be, you know, you could have an, an Indian parent and a Chinese parent and be mixed race. But we've come to mean black and white, but it, it's, it robs people of their, their cultural identity as well, isn't it? Because they're not just black and white. They might be Nigerian and English or, you know, uh, Ghanaian and Scottish. So it's very, it's very tricky. And I know that's all we've got to use at the moment, but obviously it's up to the individual how they want to identify, what terms they want to use for themselves. But I feel uncomfortable with mixed race, and I play with that on stage a little bit and, um, um, and use the term brown because one or two of my kids, if they're pushed, will use the term brown and then go, well, I'm, I'm Nigerian English. I'm not mixed race. So it's a tricky term, um, that. But can I? <laughs> here's the thing. No, here's it. When I um, when I had my last child, uh, uh, I almost said his name then. Almost broke my rule. <laughs> I've been whacked by the mafia. Um, <laughs> you gotta go, man. Uh, You're speaking too many names. <laughs> yeah. Um, I and, and I got a whole routine out of this. It's actually almost become to define the last few years of my character a routine about looking like a racist granddad. And how I got that is, so I was 50 when I had my last child. And so he, we're out and I'm in my early 50s. He's a toddler. He's brown, big afro, Amish old white bloke who looks a bit dodgy. And I, on many occasions, I'd be out with a dog over Wanstead Flats or somewhere and people would come up and I could tell they were curious because they, they couldn't match me up with the child. So they must have assumed... First of all, I was the granddad. That's not the dad. Too old, you know, too old to be the dad. And then they would go up to him and go, are you out with your granddad? It would be, <laughs> I think, you're fishing here, aren't you? You're fishing. And in my head, I thought, one of the reasons why it looks like I must be the granddad is there's no way a bloke who looks like that is going to have a black partner. So this must be the child of his daughter who he kicked out of the house when she became <laughs> pregnant. But then nine months later, when she came back with this lovely little brown baby, gets all liberal and accommodating, <laughs> and then becomes inseparable from his little mixed race child. But, but, is the funny thing, still racist about everybody else. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. That's more grandchild. That's more brown grandchild. All right. And I always think that that's an actual cultural process that does go on. And I think there's a, almost a redeemable racism about those people in that through that experience, they, they, they get to turn. So I actually play with that image on stage and it's, it's been very fruitful um, describing myself as a racist granddad. I, I guess, you know, obviously, you know, people shouldn't um, presume and make these assumptions, but obviously that yeah. kind of storyline is one that is a little tried and tested for, it is, yeah. uh, you know, uh, uh, people who uh, maybe do look similar. <laughs> hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. So at 50 years old, you've had a child, and when you compare that to having your first child in your mid-20s, um, certainly a very different stage of your life. How did the two experiences compare in terms of your experience of of becoming a father when you've yeah. you know, lived a lot more of your life? And, uh, sure. and did you look at it differently? Certainly, very differently. And I've always been conscious of that. Uh, well, but, well, by the time... Um, my, uh, 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 we had that child. I'd already had two children from a previous relationship. Uh, and also, um, I'd become estranged from those children. So after a few years when I split up with their mum and there was a very difficult period and I didn't see them for quite a few years from one day to the next, I just didn't see them. And that was a very, that was a very difficult period for me and my partner because she had become close to the children as well. I don't want to go into the details of why that is. It's quite a, it's quite a common story that isn't it people splitting up and not seeing their children so um also my partner had had an ectopic pregnancy at, at some point where she had had a tube removed so the chances of you becoming pregnant after that's happened are, are, are lessened um and so we were um, so i was 50 we'd been together for 15 years we didn't plan to have a child we didn't not plan to have a child uh, we just didn't expect to have one, obviously. And we were sitting in um, the Star Cap in Forest Gate. Um, and uh, I remember her talking about how she felt and some changes going on with her body. And I thought, well, I've experienced this before, haven't I? I've been down that road. And I went, I think you're pregnant. And so we went down to a chemist who got a pregnancy test, did the little test in the cap, and it was positive. So it was a fantastic, joyous thing. Um, which just brought us so much because it was very hard to live without children that you've got. And it gave us a lot of joy. And it's not like having a replacement child, but there's all that love you've got for kids. There's no kids in your life. So there we are. And uh, I felt fantastic about it. I felt really cool. You know, 50, having a child, man, you feel really cool. It's a new lease of life. And um, although I must say, initially I was very bad because uh, all the sleepless nights and all that, it's, that's a lot easier when you're 25, I must say. Um, but I think the key is, if anyone's listening, if you are going to have a child in later life, make sure that the mum's a bit younger than you, because then it seems to work out. You don't want two old people. <laughs> you know, I don't think that's a good thing. Um, so it was, uh, I, you know, I immediately had more time. I think when you're younger, you've got a lot of energy, uh, and maybe you connect with your children more culturally with music and games or whatever you're doing, but you're always busy. 
you're always doing something or the work you're doing is busy or you're hanging around or you're seeing people. So you've got kids, but when you're older, you've got more time. There's more patience. So, so there's a trade-off, I think, the energy and, and that from when you're younger to, to when you're older. I think there's a, a trade-off, but you've got more patience. You have more understanding. I think you dote more. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a very different... But, but equally as enjoyable. But the main thing I would say is it's summed up in, when you're young, often you've got children and they ask you to do something, you go, yeah, yeah, in a minute, don't you? You go, yeah, I'll be over in a minute. I'll do that in a minute. When, when I got older, I thought, here's a chance for me to do this again. And I never did that because I always had the time. So that's the big difference. And of course, when I had my younger children, I was working full-time or, or doing things full-time, whereas being a comedian and having a child is basically you can be a full-time dad. And I would say that in the 15 years that that boy's been going to school, apart from if I'm working away weekends, I've taken him to school and picked him up from school every single day for 15 years. I know exactly where I've been for 15 years with that child. So uh, it's it's been great. I don't know what he thinks about having an old an old geezer as a dad. I don't know. I don't know if he considers me old or not, or if that, I don't know how that works the other way around. But... But in some ways, I have to say, a downside of that, I don't feel we connect on popular culture as much as I would have done with my other, my older daughter. His music, he, he's not going to live on listen to all my old reggae records and that. You know, he's not. In, and, I, and I don't play computer games. So always a trade-off, I think, Johnny. Always a trade-off. It, yeah. It's absolutely fascinating hearing you speak about it. it, 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 it you, oh, cool. I'm glad. I'm glad this is interesting, you know. No, yeah, it really is. And you're giving a perspective that, you know, um, a lot of people might not have um, heard or even thought about before. Uh, just to say as well, just as a little tip, um, mm. you know the fact that you're... Uh, son won't listen to records and stuff. Um, yeah. There's this thing now called Spotify, and yeah, uh, yeah I have heard of that. <laughs> you no. might want to give that yeah, yeah, yeah. just something to bond over. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> is there is there anything uh, um, in terms of uh, being an older dad which presented insecurity for you, like worries about? I, I don't know. You tell me. Is there is there any insecurities um, that you thought? Is well, I do. Thing? I think there have been phases. I mean, I don't know if that's to do with my own personal psychology or if it's a general thing to do with being an older dad. But you do. You there have been moments where I've thought, well, actually, I'm going to die, and you still got lots of years to do. I know. Sorry, I don't mean to say it in such a crude. That's what I was kind but, of thinking. You think, well, oh, so. you, you, what, what happens when you get to sixty? You start doing the sums, and you think, hold on a minute. Uh, Hold on, I don't know how much time I've got left. It's this thing where you feel there's more sand in the bottom of the timer than the top. And I think most people, up until they're 60, you've just still got that carefree attitude to age. And I think um, a couple of things hit me, but I've got through that. And um, I just thought, well, he won't have me for as long as the other kids have me, but he'll have me in a different way, which maybe makes up for the time. Does that make sense? But there, there have been insecurities, for, for sure. And there are about children. And also, I think when I was young, I was a bit more wild. And, um, you know, used to run with a bit of a wild crowd, you know. So so I always felt that I could protect my children for whatever happened. But you get older, you know, I'm not mixing with the wrong crowd anymore. I do worry about him on the streets, etc., And don't feel like I could be out there for him. But that might just be some old-fashioned working class idea of what you're supposed to be able to do as a parent. Um, 
and also I'm not I've never earned any money, so I, I, I've never provided any any financial security for him. I know that there's nothing there for him, but I hope that through association there would be you know intellectual you know that would be be the uh, the thing that. I've, I hand over. Does that make sense? Definitely, definitely. And he and he'd have that opportunity via uh, the time that you've given to him and the uh, attention you've paid. He'll generate opportunity anyway. It's, it's fascinating. You you just touched on a point about um, p- potentially those working class values and potentially that idea of what the masculine role in parenting was always going to be. No. Um, if if we look at that, what were before you became a father, and I know it, 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 you, you, you've done it a few times throughout your life, mm-hmm. but what were your initial um, kind of views on what you needed to provide and how has that changed uh, throughout your uh, life? Um, yeah, uh, well, when I was younger and the times where I had a steady job and a house and fairly functioning in that way, I don't think I really thought about that I mean, my first daughter. I mean, when I think back, uh, I used to take her out with me all the time when I was going to gambling houses and shabins and any everywhere I went, I just took her wherever I went. Didn't even consider that that might be a dangerous thing. And I do think there was a a different freedom in those days as well um, about kids and socialising. So maybe I've been unconventional. I don't think I've been very conventional or responsible. I've always been lucky enough to have had a partner that's that's been more like that so i think i've been that that typical cliche the good time guy you know um so i've never really yeah i'm not um, i'm not good on i don't think i've ever sat down with any of my children and given them a lecture on anything or i've always gone through osmosis i think is is the way and that might seem um, irresponsible but you know maybe you know it's just, it's not, not that conventional, I suppose. Um, but yeah, so just just wanting to influence them, I think. I've never come, don't come from any money or or property or anything. So it's probably political influence, intellectual influence, cultural influence, and just see what they 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 pick up and see what they're interested in. I've never tried to impose anything on them. Certainly not with music. So so um, when when we were um, talking about you coming on the pod, uh, and this is honestly, it's been. Easily one of my favourite episodes. I've loved it. I really, I really. Oh, cool, man! Thanks. Um, um, so we we um talked about um your, your children, and you mentioned something about a child turning up on the internet. Yeah, um, yeah. Is there, <laughs> <can> you... <laughs> it really <laughs> that sort of thing really does happen. I know. Uh, people always joke about that. You know, how many you got any kids? Oh my, have didn't you? That 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 one. <laughs> yeah, I think the old joke. I know people, of. You never hear a woman say that, do you? <laughs> Funny kids, not I know of. Uh, <laughs> this is a great story um, that's got a very happy, not ending, but uh, uh, worked out very good. I uh, actually, I'll tell you the details. I I was home here, so this has been uh, about eighteen years ago, I think. Now was it I, in the two thousands? Anyway, early two thousands. I can't remember exactly what it is. I'm not good on chronology, so forgive me. And. Um, my daughter, my first daughter, who I don't know where she was living, she phoned me up. She was quite young, a teenager, I guess, or 20 or something. And I was a bit drunk. Um, I was at home being drunk, drinking Ryan Nephew, which is my favourite drink. I don't know if you're familiar with Ryan Nephew, Jamaican rum. And so my daughter phoned me up and we 
We had, we were still have never had a, a consistent relationship. I think she's a bit like me in some ways. Um, but she phoned me up and said, oh, Dad, I'll tell you how long ago it was, Johnny. It was MySpace. Do you remember MySpace? <laughs> yeah. She said, I remember going on my daughter's MySpace page, and I hated it. It was like going in her bedroom when she wasn't there and discovering, <laughs> what? I thought, get out of here. Don't look. Don't look. And so she said, look, a, a, a girl, a woman, has got in touch with her on MySpace and said, I think your dad is my dad. So... Uh, so what happened is, uh, so so my daughter couldn't accept that, actually. She couldn't work out how that could be. She, tried, she was in big denial over that, actually, because she said, um, uh, she said, oh, how can that be, though? It can't be, because I, I've done the maths, Dad, and you were living at home with me and Mum at the time. And I thought, oh, God, you know, <laughs> I used to be a pretty irresponsible, selfish sort of person who never, ever thought about implications of anything I did, like a lot of young people, I guess. So I asked what the girl's name was, and immediately I remembered the surname as as someone that I I used to see a little bit. And um, and so what happened is the girl had grown up not knowing what my surname was, but knew what my daughter's name was because um, it just been in conversation. So what she'd done is gone on my my daughter's name is quite unusual. So she'd gone onto MySpace, looked for the name. Seen that she's mixed race and thought, okay, and uh, it was her. And since that time, I've had the, uh, a fantastic relationship with her. Actually, probably have a better relationship with her than any of my other children. So the key is probably not live with me if you um, want to. If you want to love me, you know. And, oh, and that's wow. worked out very good. But what was funny about that, Tony, was um, when I went to meet the girl for the first time. Um, I remember saying to my, my, my partner now, I said, oh, I don't know what to do. She said, just do whatever she wants. Whatever she wants to do, do. And so we went to, we went to, uh, where do we go to eat? Uh, Nando's, of course, which, which, I mean, I, it's funny because I, if ever I do a gig and there's a few black and white couples in the audience, I go, it's like doing a gig in Nando's <laughs> because I think people, people feel safe to go in Nando's, don't they? If you're going out with your first black boyfriend or white girlfriend, or just go to Nando's, we know we're going to be okay in there. So we're in Nando's. So I said, what would you like to do now? And she said, I'd like us to go around and see my mum. So I went round after all of these years to visit the mum that I hadn't seen since since that was 18 years ago. Um, I'm not sure if it was the same house, but it was in the same the same uh, uh, block. And it felt it felt like time travel. It was bizarre. But, but that's all worked out really good. And she's fantastic. And it's that, just a great thing to have happened. Um, yeah, that's a great thing to have happened, actually. So that, those sort of things do happen. But I just want to say something about influence and responsibility and how you think my daughter, my oldest daughter, who I used to take with me everywhere, her form of rebellion is to be really corporate, straight, not drink, don't take drugs. Um, and she said, after that upbringing I had with you, with gangsters and sound system people and Rastafarians and new age travellers, she's rebelled against that that. That, that way of life. So it's remarkable that the rebellion I have to face is someone who's really corporate, you know? It's a funny, funny thing, isn't it? <laughs> She's got more Trevor McDonald these days, yeah? <laughs> Straight <laughs> down the middle. I see. Do, do you know, and here's another one for anyone listening as a bit of a callback. If you ever go 
on a date um, with a black family to Nando's. They'll put knife and fork out, but don't use it. Um, <laughs> it is a test. <laughs> no. It is a test. <laughs> um, Jeff, th- th- honestly, this has been amazing. Really, really, well, I'm really hilarious pleased funny. because uh, you, I don't know. You know, I didn't know what you were up. But I'm pleased I've, I've been able to. Um, to be interesting for you, man. You know, you certainly um, have. And the thing is, is what we want to do is represent different fathers' stories, and not everything. It's warts and all as well. You know, it's not course. all about trying to pretend that everyone's done it perfectly. We all learn yeah. from each other's stories, and so you've been very generous with how honest well, you've been about it. Yeah, I've tried to be honest, um, but one thing I will say uh, about um, anyone who, any white person, yeah who is going to have a child with someone who's from a, a black uh, background. Um, the real problem, over all the years, the biggest problem has been the hair. The hair. I don't think I've ever successfully brushed or combed any of my children's hair ever in all those years. So I would say reconsider it because, you know, that's a tough one, the hair, as you all know, as you all know. There yeah. are tears, there are tears, aren't there? There's lots of tears. All that, you know, sitting them down in front of you, you know, that stuff and having it pulled and tugged, and that's probably the biggest problem I've had. I'll try a little tip for you there. I definitely get that. I mean, I, I, with my mum as well, uh, my mum's um, white Irish kind of heritage, and she's had four mixed-raised kids. And I always remember when, because we w- weren't from coming from loads of money, so my mum used to always cut her hair, and she used to always give us the mirage of having the option of which hairstyle we could choose in her little salon, which was the kitchen. And okay. she'd say, oh, what do you want? And we'd be like, oh, yeah, like little, you know, crop top, short back and sides, all of that. <laughs> and it, after two seconds with her with a trimmer, it would always be, right, you're having a skinhead. <laughs> that was oh, it. yeah. Um, yeah. But Jeff, we do we do something on this podcast um, where we like to offer advice for the other fathers out there listening in a little feature that we call "Get Your Tips Out for the Dads." Okay, and I'll be remiss if I didn't sing the intro. So get your tips out, get your tips out, get your tips out for the dads, Jeff Innocent. Well, yeah, here's one thing you know all always spend that time with the child that they want. That's what I would say. Never in a minute, never tomorrow. Take that opportunity there and then because they get old so quickly that that type of relationship disappears. So that that baby, toddler, young child relationship is so fantastic and magical. The opportunity to, to do that again at 50, which is fantastic, was all up. I'm not, you know, I'm going to give this child time. And so that's what I would say. Don't, you know, watch the football. Don't go down the pub. You won't have long with that child as a young a young child. So take that opportunity there and then. That's probably what I would say. That is fantastic, Jeff. And uh, it just leaves me to say thank you so much for coming to the podcast. You've been an absolutely wonderful guest. And thanks for being so open and sharing thank your experiences you. and your stories. Now, for all the people who would have no doubt loved you, on this pod. Can you let um, our listeners know where they can find you or anything else that you're up to? Yeah, sure. Um, well, obviously there's no live comedy at the moment and there hasn't been for a while, so nobody can come and see me live. But um, I've had a couple of viral videos out re- recently, one of them called Racist Grandad. Uh, so there's a couple of clips on YouTube that I'm, I'm, I'm proud of. You know how it is, Johnny. You, 
you do comedy for years and you go on the telly and you look and you think, no, no, that didn't work. I don't like myself there. But finally, there's a couple of bits on YouTube, one from the Comedy Store, one from Hot Water in Liverpool, that, that, that explores comedically all of this stuff that I've been talking about. So uh, if you want to check those out. And I'm working on a podcast, we haven't put anything out yet, called Smart Casual, where I'll just be interviewing people. There's no uh, there's no theme as yet. We just do a few, see how it feels. So I'm busy doing projects uh, and put lovely projects like this to keep me sharp and keep me in contact with, with comedians like yourself and children's TV entertainers, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and also um, your socials in case uh, they can follow you and keep stay uh, Yeah, well, just Jeff Innocent on, on Facebook and uh, Innocent Jeff or Jeff Innocent on, on Twitter. I'm not that active myself on those platforms, but, um, yeah, you know, you can always find me and track me down and I'm on there. So I hope that's okay. I'm not on Instagram or TikTok or anything. Uh, but I'm sure I will be, you know, eventually I'll get on, on everything. You've just got your head around MySpace, haven't you? No, <laughs> <laughs> well, no, after that incident, exactly. <laughs> I'll back there again. Jeff, <laughs> thank you so much. And guys, we will see you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you. A podcast from producer paul.co.uk. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.